Welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and with video here on YouTube. It is the return of the three apostates. We have managed to align our schedules and the stars and moons and everything else in the black holes so that we can uh, schedule a time to talk here, and we have done this, and this is a wonderful thing. This week, we are going to talk about uh, something that was influenced and I started thinking about a few weeks ago after watching a docu-series on Netflix called The Family. And if you guys haven't seen this, and I have talked about it with Clint Haycock on my podcast here already, this is a show that is very eye-opening. And even if we were to say that half of the docu-series is wrong, it's still alarming as hell. Because we're talking about uh, religious groups that seek allies and influence outside of themselves in order to forward their own goals and purposes. In the, in the case of the family, we're talking about a Christian resurgence and worldwide movement that these people are trying to go for. Of course, with Scientology, they seek allies because Scientology has world domination goals. And that's not, you know, it sounds exaggerated and crazy and kind of super villainous, but it's the reality. It's where it's where, what they want to do. Don't they want to clear though. the planet. Don't we all have world domination goals? <laughs> I would think that's a very reasonable expectation of anyone. I certainly would like to conquer the globe at some point. I mean, I realize it's unlikely from this starting point, but given the opportunity um, and given how messed up the world is, I think that rule by Lloyd um, and autocracy, uh, if you will, would solve a lot of problems. There's, I there's see only room for 144,000 people in that utopia, though. Oh, well, th yeah, yeah, there are limitations, I guess. Okay, well, as uh, well, we're, but more we're seriously, getting into though, it here. <laughs> like, I mean, joking aside, like, each of our groups has this notion that we represent the utopian ideal. And so it only makes sense that in this fundamentalistic, totalitarian, totalistic perspective, we would want to bring our message to the entire world so that we have unity. And so anything we can do to further that goal is by definition good. I want to bring That's the John Cedars channel to all corners of the globe oh and instill my agenda everywhere. But that's just me. Uh, that, yeah, that could be just be, just be you. <laughs> I still get secret <laughs> messages from your haters telling me how terrible you are behind the scenes. <laughs> Well, okay, so uh, Lloyd and uh, Jonathan have jumped in here, so I was going to introduce them, but Lloyd Evans is a former Jehovah's Witness, and uh, Jonathan Streeter, of course, is a former Mormon, or foreman, I love that term. Um, I, I think it was uh, coined, was that coined by Brian Keith Dalton, a foreman? Uh, I, probably, the, the man okay, I don't know if it's a common vernacular about everything. Yeah, okay. Anyway, welcome to the show, guys. Uh, okay, so let's get into this. So um, so the family was one thing, and that was very, very political. That was all about Washington, D.C. and political influence. Um, Lloyd, how do the JWs reach out to the world? I mean, because they kind of hold the rest of the world in a, in a kind of contempt, right? Yeah, so... The whole kind of political thing isn't as, let's say it's not as obvious with Jehovah's Witnesses. 
uh, but that's not to say that it's non-existent. So a classic example that we were talking about before we went on air is the UN scandal. Because without wanting to bore everyone, um, the UN um, has always been demonized or for many decades has been demonized in Watchtower literature as being the wild beast or part of the wild beast of the Book of Revelation. So, wow. Um, yeah, pretty heavy. Um, so it's an instrument of Satan. It's a surrogate for God's kingdom. It's kind of a bit like the Antichrist in that you have, uh, rather than God's kingdom, you have a global um, kingdom that, that pretends to bring peace and stability to the earth. So that's how Jehovah's Witnesses have long viewed the UN. And in 2001, um, a journalist for The Guardian did a report. I think he was tipped off by some XJWs, but he found out that the Watchtower Society was actually listed as a UN NGO or non-governmental organization with the UN's Department of Information. So... They, they were simultaneously kind of in league with the UN because one of the objectives of being an NGO with the uh, Department of Public Information is that you uh, promote and support the charter of the UN. So <laughs> here they are saying the UN is um, the wild beast of revelation. It's a really evil thing. And at the same time, they were forced during this period to include in their literature positive things about the UN, which they in fact did. And so this affiliation started, I think, around 1991, 1992, and it abruptly ended as soon as this Guardian article came out. They quickly <laughs> severed all ties. But the only explanation I can think of and others can think of as to why they took such a diametric opposite stance to the one they were writing in their publications is that they wanted uh, influence they wanted to they wanted to have all of the trimmings and benefits of of being a UN NGO where they would you know meet with other NGOs and they would get to network and have meetings with maybe politicians and that kind of thing so that's and th there's a little bit more to it because they are still members of a similar kind of international uh, NGO-like organization in Europe. I forget the name of it now. But yeah, there, there was that whole scandal. And that's really the closest we've come to with, with Jehovah's Witnesses when it comes to currying kind of political influence. Interesting. The, of course, the Church of Scientology is right on board there as well. They Hubbard ragged on the United Nations as part of his grand conspiracy theory, but the Church of Scientology was more than happy to promote uh, a United Nations connection when they were pushing their human rights agenda. Uh, and I won't even begin to, 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 to get into the hypocrisy of Scientology pushing human rights at, at, you know, at the UN, uh, but they did. And they, they had a whole program to teach children human rights. Uh, ironically, the, the, the material they used to do that is actually quite good, but, <laughs> but Scientology doing it just seems a little kind of perverse. Um, interesting. What about the Mormons? Do they have any connection with the United Nations? 
Uh, I don't know that there's any, I mean, I, I totally believe that if you looked in the directory of NGOs, that if you found the LDS church or the Mormon church um, in there, it wouldn't really surprise me. Um, when you think about how other religions, but when I look at through the lens of Mormonism, it's really kind of, you're looking at the systems of power and authority that exist in the world. And Mormonism is very good at exploiting those to whatever extent it can in order to further its own aims. And so that's whether it's our US government, any intergovernmental agency or governments in other parts of the world, we will do what we have to do in order to continue to exist, continue to operate and continue to spread the good word of you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ through the lens of Mormonism. And when you look back historically, that even if you look in Nazi Germany leading up to World War II, uh, while the Jehovah's Witnesses were standing firmly in their uh, position of not being involved and, and being persecuted as a result of it, uh, Mormons had leaders at the local level who were members of the Nazi party. Uh, the, the messaging from the prophet was just do what your government says. You know, we believe in being subject to kings, rulers, and you know, that's part of our beliefs is that you're subject to your local government. And so there's this very adaptable mindset in Mormonism that you can work with local government systems of power in order to preserve the gospel. Um, it's when you see that there's a disconnect between the motives of secular government and core doctrines of Mormonism that then Mormonism starts to ex exploit the different factions in government to try to make sure that laws that are beneficial to its purposes um, move to the forefront. And, and that type of political activity that happens kind of behind the scenes under different names um, is, is where I think most of the interesting stuff happens. Agreed. And, it's, and, it's, and, and make no mistake, because you can't blame any group for trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And for, you know, carrying out actions that try to get allies uh, or try to, you know, reach out into the environment, cooperate with other groups, work in tolerance with other groups. I mean, that's, those are good things. Those are features, not bugs. Um, what I'm concerned about, of course, with these groups is that they have a certain level of dishonesty connected with them. And, uh, and of course, I mean, there's the hypocrisy of, well, they believe this, but here they are allied with these other guys. Well, you can understand that living in the real world, you're going to run into that and you're going to have to compromise. You have to. And it doesn't make you a hypocrite just because you compromise in order to gain, you know, uh, relationships with, with other groups that you need their assistance with. But, uh, but I think that only goes so far. I think there's a point where you can go, no, 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 this has gone too far. <laughs> you know, there's too, much, there's too much compromise, quote unquote, going on here, right? Or even worse, and as, as talked about, like say in the family documentary, you have a group that is hiding its true intent under this you know, idea of bringing people together and unity and, and you know, compassion under Christ or whatever their, their mottos were. Um, you know, that's not, that's not so good because then you have uh, a kind of blatant deception going on. You know, you're, you're doing one thing, but you're saying you're doing something completely different. I think the uh, hypocrisy is something that as critics we can point to and, and say, aha, got you. But for me, like the, the real danger in all of these things is that uh, the governments that we're interacting with uh, 
affect the lives of everybody. And if you have, right. even if they're not hypocritical about it, even if they're like totally open, yes, we are using our membership to influence lawmakers. The fact that the ideology behind that influence is based on these false doctrinal and dogmatic ideas means that we're now shaping our laws and our policies around false ideas. And that's where in the family, where if you're moving towards some apocalyptic vision where it's okay if we bring certain countries into conflict because that's going to make the situation so that Christ can return. You know, the fact that that is an ingredient into any of the policy decision makings is a big problem. And so that, that is a real dangerous aspect of it. I don't know if Jehovah's Witnesses have any history of... Well, yeah, I was going to ask Lloyd about that. Do you, is there any effort to bring about the the conditions of revelation oh you mean self-fulfilling prophecy um not really uh i did i did want to just add on to what jonathan was saying about the second world war because the um the image that witnesses projects or the version of their history that they give in that regard isn't entirely accurate um they did make a very strong stand against hitler after Hitler had rebuffed Rutherford's advances, um, there is such a, a document as the Declaration of Facts, which Watchtower made the fatal error of actually reproducing in its 1934 yearbook. So we know that it exi- existed, and it's actually on my bookshelf, um, in which Rutherford wrote this groveling message to the Nazis, um, sharing in their anti Semitism. I don't exaggerate and basically saying that the aims and objectives of the Bible student movements, as they were known then, were in alignment with the nationalist um, government of, of Germany at that time. And it was only after those efforts at kind of currying favor, because this was in response to, I believe, a branch being closed down by the uh, by the Nazis. And Rutherford responded by trying to convince them, oh, no, no, you know, we have things in common. And only when that effort um, at currying favor collapsed and there was backlash to it did they go the other way and, and then start. Um, so if you, if you like, there was even an attempt to some degree at involving themselves politically in that instance as well. Yeah. Um, well, I, yeah, I have many questions because I'm curious. This letter happened in 1935? It was, um, let me see. So... I think the actual declaration of facts was read out at a convention in 1933. Um, and the, the document was reproduced in the 1934 yearbook, which I have a copy of on my bookshelf. I'm very, it's actually the most precious item in my collection because it's quite hard to get a 1934 yearbook, probably I- because it has such damning material in it. Wow, oh, no, that looks like a picture of Donald Trump on on your back thing. There. Are you sure that's not your most precious? If you look behind you, there's <laughs> who is, is that, that Donald... person? <laughs> Donald Trump. Think... Oh, you mean I that? Think... Oh no, no, on your shelf there. Never mind. I thought that was your most precious item. Never mind. Oh no, my God, that's that's Gary Bro there. That's not Donald. Oh, Trump. oh, okay. He. Yeah. I, I can only see blonde hair. They do have things in common though, <laughs> intellectual capacity being one of them. Um, <laughs> You are terrible. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, so the, the, there are definitely attempts in the witness past, probably more than I probably consider to 
to begin with where they've tried to curry favor but in terms of actually trying to kind of engineer history and get things going uh, apocalyptically it's hard to find concrete okay. evidence of that yeah now okay. chris in in the family documentary one of the things that was really remarkable i think is how the idea that uh, an organization like that can be more effective if it keeps its involvement secret and the more yes. invisible it is the more effective it is and that brought to mind the types of um secrecy that i think you've talked about before when you mentioned how scientology was involved in some police department that then oh, affected yeah. the way investigations were happening like how has the element of let's keep our our actions secret so that people don't realize that the systems of government are being manipulated by this outside ideology. Like, how does that work in Scientology? Yeah, very, very covertly. Um, Scientology's goal, and this has to be really, because they're pretty blunt about it internally. So I, I speak with confidence about this because we literally would talk about it. Uh, even, you know, and I was at the level of the Sea Org, so I was in management of Scientology. So uh, the attitude is, one, the outside world has no idea what they're talking about. They are completely, you know, delusional and, and they're wogs, quote unquote, right? Um, so, the, but, but Scientology recognizes that they operate in a larger context. There is a society around them that produces food and produces, you know, the, the things they need and stuff like that. So you have to interact with this world. And also, of course, Scientology has the idea of proselytizing to these people so, and eventually making everybody into Scientologists. So the only purpose, the only reason that they are reaching out outside of themselves through the Office of Special Affairs to contact government officials, law enforcement officials, legislators, and ally with them is because Scientology perceives in every single one of those connections, they do not make those connections if they don't see an, a, a direct immediate result, positive result to the Church of Scientology because of that connection. It doesn't have to necessarily be immediate as in like right now, but within a year or two, like you know that there is a plan, there is a program, it's probably even written down somewhere as to who the allies that they need to make, who that list is, how do we go about reaching them, they do research on these people before they make contact with them, they do all that stuff. But the only reason for doing it is to somehow solidify or secure Scientology's future. And anytime uh, a group interacts that way to try to get something there's always like a tit for tat perspective to it so what does scientology bring to those connections saying we're going to give you this to create then the the obligation that exists in the future what is do, do they say we'll bring you votes we'll bring you money what what kind of stuff any happens? any of the above whatever that person needs to hear is what they will bring to the table. That's why they do their research, right? What are this person's buttons? What are they like? What are they not like? What are they for? What are they against? Ideally, the Scientology public relations people, the PRs, uh, have studied all of that. Hubbard makes it very clear in his, in, his, in his written policies, of which there are many on this topic, how to go about creating allies and, and, and solidifying your position. It's all under the umbrella in Scientology of what's called safe pointing. You are creating safe points outside of the church, which extend the church's 
reach and influence. And for any particular person that they are contacting, let's say a legislator, well, they're contacting that person so because they have an eye on a particular bill or a particular law of some kind that they want to get passed or that they want to prevent from being passed. And they've analyzed and decided that this is the guy who's going to make or break that particular law. Let's say it's a pro-psychiatry law where they're going to you know, have the ability to uh, uh, keep people for, you know, I don't know, for 24-hour observation or something like that, mm -hmm. right? Scientologists will go on a roll through CCHR to the, the Citizens Commission on Human Rights to, to, you know, publicize how bad that is. But they will, they will, without necessarily making it public that they're doing this at all, they will do back-channel, you know, mm -hmm. connection to the legislators to really make sure that thing is dead on arrival or is gonna go through like a knife through butter. So that's one example. And there are many, many groups that they ally with. Uh, the other thing they do in terms of tit for tat is a common um, purpose, right? Like the, with other religious groups, they yeah. will uh, drum up, you know, hey, we're all in this together because we're all religions and they're attacking us. And so they're attacking religion. And so therefore we all have to band together. And they will seek allies that way also because of, you know, just the strength in numbers. You no, know, I, I think what we're seeing in society is kind of a, a shift in the landscape that has done that. When, you know, if you go back several decades where as a society, we just kind of all expected this in the Western world anyway, the central Judeo-Christian perspective. And so each of the religions were kind of fighting amongst each other. They would very easily demonize each other. And now that we've gotten into a society that's moving in a more secular direction where we've we've you know we don't want to have the influence of government and we're calling out the dangers and the damage and harm of religions and we're starting to put boundaries on that then suddenly the religions are like oh no there's we're being persecuted and we need to work together to preserve the freedom of religion and they use that that tagline freedom of religion um, basically to continue to allow them to do damaging hurtful things in addition to all the other religious things, uh, without the influence or, or uh, accountability that goes along with that. And so um, that's where we now have this unique ecumenical movement in Mormonism anyway, where suddenly we're proud of working with the Catholic Church and with the Baptist Church and all these other organizations that before we only heard leaders say, well, they're part of the, you know, the great and abominable whore of the earth. And um, it's just this weird backlash that you get when you look, compare the two. Agreed. And I, we see the exact same thing coming out of Scientology, um, who, you know, who really do, I mean, you know, they really do try to pay attention and, and get their feelers out there because they are tiny. Scientology is tiny. It's, it's an eensy weensy thing compared to the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons. So they want to uh, use that power base for their advantage, right? It's called, in Scientology, the, the expression would be using that motion to their advantage, right? Trying to get on board with something that's already mm -hmm. accomplishing what they're trying to accomplish. And then they come out looking like the good guys to everybody concerned because they got on board with all these, you know, right people and stuff on these issues. And we're also seeing uh, not just social change. I wanted to comment on that with the move towards secularism, which is definitely happening. There's zero question about that. Um, but we're also seeing legal uh, becoming it's becoming more and more difficult 
uh, for religions to get a pass in courts. And that was not always the case. It's only, it's a very recent development uh, where judges are now willing to hear abuse cases that involve religion where they did not, were not willing to even hear that stuff before. Yeah. And that is a direct result of our, the, the people who, you know, like us, not you, me, and Lloyd, but everybody, uh, all of our work in exposing all these abuses has raised public perception on that. Yeah, I think the, the issue of child abuse and how it has been protected and perpetuated by the way that the churches operate, as that has entered into the public consciousness, you're right, we're seeing judges that are saying, hold on a second, whereas 20 years ago, we would have been just like, all right, the church, you handle that internally. Now we're saying, wait a second, these are criminal actions, and we have to start holding these organizations accountable if we want to see any meaningful change. And that's where in Mormonism, we're starting to see the church that is one of the angles that they are using to say that they're kind of being persecuted a little bit. And so you'll find the Mormon church writing um, amicus briefs for cases of abuse that don't have anything to do with Mormonism, where they are basically supporting the idea that, well, we have this ecclesiastical protection where the penitent, um, testimony can't be admitted into into court and we want to support that because that represents freedom of religion and it's like conflating freedom with of religion with institutional policies that protect abusive people and that i think is really dangerous if if that mindset is allowed to continue to exist then we're going to continue to have religions be shelters and havens for abusive people for abusive practices and i'm hoping that we start to see less of that but it really takes the actions of people who are awake to this issue to, to start bringing it to the public consciousness. Well, I think that I think the J, yeah, I yeah. think the JW activism has been some of the most effective in that regard. Yes, although I think there's also just a changing zeitgeist kind of globally that the the JW activists um, have been able to piggyback, um, myself included. Um, there's an increasing um, intolerance, rightly, to child sex abuse. You know, I, I don't remember it being such a huge thing, um, you know, when I was a teenager hearing about child sex abuse on the news. It's literally in the last, let's say, 20 years that there's been a heightened public consciousness about this. And we see that in the uh, Megan's Law and, you know, various changes in legislation. Um, so there's been more sensitivity from the media, and that in turn has led to abuse survivors coming forward. And it only really takes one or two to have the bravery to come forward and say, uh, actually, not only am I going to litigate what happened to me, I'm also not going to accept a settlement because we had a number of cases in the early days that were all settled and never really saw the light of day. Non-disclosure agreements. Yeah, that sort of thing. And then in 2012, Candace Conti comes forward and says, I am not settling. I am seeing this through. And so she managed to get, a, a, I think it was a jury verdict. Um, and that eventually got dragged out into an appeal, and the appeal eventually got settled. But at least there was something that could register on the radar mm -hmm. um, so that other victims could... Uh, draw strength from that and 
So this trickle turned into an avalanche. So I think it's been, from the JW perspective, like a perfect storm of, of just a change in popular awareness of child sex abuse, not just in religion, but in other institutions. And, and also the media being more engaged in, in that respect. And yeah, hopefully we've capitalized to some extent on that. Well, yeah. speaking to that point, um, so I've, over the last year, I was involved in a group that was originally called Protect LDS Children. And it was spearheaded by a former bishop of the church who realized that there's, there's like a, a, an invisible practice in the church that we all just kind of accepted, which is these bishop worthiness interviews, where a grown leader in private behind closed doors would be interrogating youth about their personal sexual activities regarding masturbation, pornography, whether they were sexually active with other people. And the normalization of that idea that leaders in secret, unaccountable, no background checks can interrogate children about sexual things is just something that we kind of accepted because it had this heading of worthiness and it was something, well, he, he said, this is wrong, it's bad. He asked for people to share their stories and he's collected like thousands of stories, literally thousands of stories of people who that was part of the nexus of the child abuse that subsequently happened to them or stories where people in positions of authority in the church um, abused and then when it was discovered, the church covered it up and did not hold the encounter uh, subject to legal um, consequences for the abuse, just all kinds of different things. So we organized a march to try to bring these stories to the attention of leadership so that they would change their policies. It ended up having him excommunicated for speaking out about these things. And after they excommunicated him, almost a year later, they changed some of those policies, but they haven't changed them enough. And so Sam Young is this gentleman, he's reformulated it to say, you know what, let's broaden our view and say we're going to protect all children by trying to affect laws and policies that don't protect abusers. And there's a march coming up on October 5th in Salt Lake City under this. And if any of your viewers are interested in supporting this movement to try to promote things that will protect children, and that can be laws that open up windows for the statute of limitations, that can be eliminating the clergy penitent privilege that churches use to hide the fact of abuse within their own leadership. Um, it, all of these things can be affected by public consciousness and awareness where we as individuals can start to use the mechanisms of law to protect people in a way that the churches have been using the mechanisms of law to protect themselves as institutions. So check it out. It's Protect All Children, October 5th this year, up in, a, in just a few weeks. Um, it's something that any organization, not just Mormons, who want to see these things happen can be involved with. Cool, man. Yeah, that sounds like something people should get on board with. Salt Lake City is not too far away. Maybe I should go over there. Um, you know, October. You haven't been to Salt Lake City. No, I've been to Salt Lake City. I just go in in October, I'm saying. <laughs> I've, I've, been, uh, I've been there. I've been in the um, Tabernacle Choir a couple times, actually. Well, I should think so. I, I don't know yeah, how hello. anyone in their right mind couldn't be in the Tabernacle Choir. I yeah, mean, hello. Just, you know, it's just one of those things that you do, obviously. Yeah, duh, hello. Yeah, I've, I've got a full wardrobe of magic underwear as well. It's just... <laughs> just that oh, damn. You don't have to be a Mormon to appreciate some of the... the it doesn't work qualities. if you don't believe. It doesn't work if you don't believe. <laughs> well, you may say that, Jonathan, but I'm telling you, it works. Uh, 
won't go into any more details. Oh my god! But it definitely worked. All right. Yeah. That, that, okay. Good. Uh, okay, yeah. I just so. <laughs> I just want to remind Lloyd really that. Really fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So, well, obviously Scientology does the same thing, and they normalized it under the confessionals, the sec checking, the security checking, mm -hmm. and they have kids actually getting confessionals done on adults and even on other kids. You could have, th you, theoretically, I mean, you, the, you could have a situation where a 17-year-old trained Scientology auditor is security checking a 13-year-old. Mm -hmm. And, who, you know, anything goes in a confessional. It, the questions are determined by the case supervisor. So they could end up you know, talking about sex stuff. They could be talking about anything, any subject, yeah. right? I saw uh, appropriate a, or I not. Heard a, I heard a metaphor that really brought this home for me, which was that, you know, when we when churches frame the ability of government to, to look at those practices and say that you can't do that, when they frame that as religious persecution and they say, you, you know, the government can't have any say in this because it's freedom of religion. Well, let's take those practices and let's just pretend that it's an online organization. We created an online internet club. And one of the things, if you want to get to the higher levels of the club, is you have to have a little internet chat with somebody. And so you have like a 50-year-old man having a private one-on-one -on -one internet chat with a 13-year-old girl where the man then starts asking, so when's the last time that you masturbated? When's the last time? What type of pornography do you view? Like, so if the federal government had its eye on those conversations, they would be raiding the house of the people involved in that system because those are clear systems of sexual predation, of inappropriate boundary crossing. And those are things that as a society, we see there are significant dangers of. But just because it doesn't fall under the heading of a religion, then the government can do that. But if you put that then in a religious context, suddenly the government can't have any say in that. And so that's really the, the kind of things that as activists or as people who are trying to bring visibility to this, we're struggling against that. Where do you draw the line between things that are abusive and should not exist, no matter whether you call yourself a religion or not? And how can we as a society, using the tools of government, intervene in those cases? Because clearly, if there's actual abuse, the government can step in. But it's these kind of gray areas that's that's problematic. I, well, I think this we're just is at the, the wrong point. We're just at yeah. the wrong point in history, though, Jonathan. Yeah. I, I genuinely believe that. I mean, like in the case of Jehovah's Witnesses, it's, I'm not exaggerating. We have um, a compound, a lakeside compound in upstate New York with a world headquarters where there's a bunch of guys who keep a database of tens of thousands of names of accused pedophiles who aren't keep giving handing over that information to authorities tens of thousands and every second that that information isn't acted on by law enforcement is another second where these individuals who are still alive and on that list get to abuse more children yeah. that's how messed up things are we're just literally at the wrong point in history because future generations will look back on this status quo and think how on earth did you let religions get off the hook so easily in all of these different areas? And, and that's, again, where activism comes in and unfortunately has to, has to drive the agenda of saying this really is not okay and it shouldn't just be a case of a few people jumping up and down on Twitter. This is something where the FBI needs to intervene.
This is exactly why the Scientology watchers are so pissed off because the exact same things that both of you just described happen day to day within Scientology as well. Um, they have files and folders of pedophiles. Uh, they, they're called ethics files and pre-clear folders, the same files they keep on everybody. And they have all that information in there. And when a law, when a, when a crime is committed and it comes up in, an, in, a, in a confessional or session in Scientology, you know, their practice is to write it down and stick it in a folder and stick that folder in a closet. And that's where that goes. And, uh, and I'm talking about current, you know, objectionable, like, like prosecutable crimes, uh, like child abuse, for example. Uh, plus, of course, Scientology is no exception to the, uh, what the Catholics and the Mormons and everybody else have done. They cover it up, keep it internal. We'll handle it. We'll, we'll clean our own laundry. We know best. We know how to deal with these people better than the legal system does, et cetera, et cetera. All the, the usual suspects of, of rationalizations for that. So, uh, so I agree completely. And I think that we are... Um, you know, at this point in time where these religions as a body are starting to recognize that they're not getting a free pass in the courtrooms. This is really just started. This is really just yeah. beginning. But they really are aware of the fact, and it's freaking them out, that they are not getting those free passes anymore, that they don't just get to pull out the religion card and they get, you know, it's the get out of jail free card, right? So, um, so now they are having to be forced to look for allies and band together. And I'm, I can't help but be surprised that the JWs are so, um, you know, outside of this. It, it, it kind of surprises me a little bit. I'm not saying it's not true, but it makes me wonder. You've mentioned many times, Lloyd, that <laughs> in a, in pretty, you've spoken of the JW leadership in pretty derogatory terms, right? Uh, you know, the, the, the rise of the incompetence, you know, is what moves you to the top and that sort of thing. Do you think that might be, I mean, seriously speaking, are they really that out of it that they wouldn't reach out to get help uh, with some of their problems in this regard? Do they think stoically they'll just deal with it? I think they genuinely believe that God is on their side and that Jehovah will magically smooth the path for them. They are committed uh, this is one of the big arguments that XJWs tend to have among themselves. Well, it's not a big argument. It's just something that tends to be um, get, gets a lot of consideration is, are they cynical um, or are they totally deluded? And I, I lean more towards, I think it's more nuanced than just a black and white thing, but I think that they genuinely believe in their theology that we're living in the last days that any, min any minute now, world governments are going to turn on religion, including Jehovah's Witnesses, and then this will be the trigger for Armageddon, and then everyone who's not a Jehovah's Witness is going to die in fireballs and what have you, and buildings collapsing, and then there's going to be a cleansed earth over which the anointed and Jesus will rule, and it will all everyone's going to be Jehovah's Witnesses. I think they genuinely believe this, and when you do genuinely believe this, you think you're invincible. Actually, that makes a lot of sense to me because it also, it explains why they wouldn't be reaching out for assistance, but it also, but in your particular case, what you just said, that means that governments turning on them, the legal system, quote unquote, turning on them, how th that's how they would perceive the Australian commission, for example, 
uh, they then use that as confirmatory evidence of their belief. That's really interesting because Scientology and Mormons approach things differently because we don't have a doomsday. There's um, a, oh no, we have a doomsday. Goal. You know, we are the church of the latter day saints. The latter days implies the doomsday. But what Lloyd just described, I agree with you, Chris, there's a perverse irony in, yeah. that, in that it's the dangerous and hurtful and abusive things that are inherent to the organization, which are the reason that governments are turning on them. And then to see that as then the fulfillment of the prophecies that the governments will turn on them leading to the end days is just this weird sick irony that unfortunately is they're gonna have to at some point have a reckoning when Jehovah does not come and these things don't happen and um yeah maybe that reckoning will come when they're being you know perp walked down the down the hall uh you know down from wherever they're in upstate new york you know down to rikers or something i don't know i mean these guys need a bit of a reality adjustment on on, on well, the, why it is that children shouldn't be abused in their organization you know as an activist one of the things that that i feel like is a challenge for me that i have to do is you have to frame these issues that we're talking about in a way that gives people space to maintain their belief with their faith, but then carve out these abusive things. So I think if we can talk to people about, listen, we've got to change your mind about seeing these criminal actions that are abusive and illegal and, and felonies, see them as that, that they then need to go to the secular government to get accountable. And then that's different from this priest penitent confessional thing, which is like, oh, you know, I, I accidentally stole a loaf of bread or something like that. I don't I, I guess that's even thief, but just remove the paradigm of sin from these criminal criminal activities so that the, the religions and the people who believe them don't think that they should be solved internally, but should be, you know, be subject to legal. I don't, I don't mind. I don't mind the concept of sin. You mean, I, I guess all religion at some to some degree has to have some concept of sin where some things are right and some things are wrong the concept alone doesn't disturb me it's when that interferes with the legal process so yeah. like with the two witness rule i i don't have a problem with the two witness rule in and of itself namely the rule that if there aren't two witnesses to abuse then it didn't it more or less didn't happen or at least it can't be acted on judicially um, I don't have a problem in and of itself, so long as the sinfulness is kept separate from the criminality. So in other words, do make whatever decision you need to make as elders um, on whether a sin has been committed or not, but make that a completely separate issue to a crime has been committed, let's call the police. So yeah. that's the main problem that Jehovah's Witnesses have, they let the sinfulness override um, the criminality to the point where justice is uh, frustrated and perverted. And it may and even be before determine it as a sin, it's just the whole concept of who is authorized and trained to investigate whether or not something happened. Like just even before you decide a sin has happened, let the people whose job it is to investigate, who deal with this type of criminal behavior, who know how to get to the truth of it, let them do it. People who aren't influenced by the dogma and the ideology. And um, that's very important. Well, it really speaks to here the, the, the attitude. What, I think it's an attitude problem, <laughs> if we're gonna boil it down to 
to what are we talking about here? Because why would these groups, why do these groups, all of our groups, uh, former groups, I should say, um, have this idea that they don't have to do that, that they don't have to go to the criminal, to, to the to the criminal system, to the legal authorities. And it's obviously because they are arrogant beyond belief. They believe that their group and their rules and their beliefs are senior to more, yeah, you know, not just more. Law. Yeah, it's not just more important. It's they literally are in their mind, the status is there's the society in the gutter and we're the guys up, you know, standing tall trying to pull everybody out of the gutter. So clearly we're superior, we're better. It really comes down to the whole us versus them thing. And that is just another reason why we call these groups destructive cults. You know, we don't have to use that terminology. It's just convenient because it separates this kind of group, a group that does that to the that level of extremism where they don't feel compelled to follow laws of the society in which they operate that's when you have a, a destructive group, you know, it's, it's, it's against, it's destructive to the society itself, you know, in terms of what's, what's the relative harm there, you know. So I can't be in a podcast discussion about the intersection between these groups and government without laying out some of the landscape. Now he's now government. he's issuing his demands. No, no, no. <laughs> now it's, now it's speak to my no. agents, you know, no, no, these no. are my conditions. <laughs> These are now, my conditions for being in this podcast. That's right. Well, see, now I get to demonstrate how much better Mormon is at yes. using the levers of government than all of your your crummy groups. Okay. So, you know, it starts in Mormonism. It starts with Joseph Smith. You know, he did a bunch of things that lended him up in front of a judge multiple times, uh, you know, from his days as a treasure seeker, peeping through stones to accusations of, of polygamy, that they used the laws of adultery to try to get him around, um, to accusations that he assassinated the government or attempted to assassinate or ordered the assassination of the, government of, of the governor of Missouri. So he, what does he do? Well, like many fundamentalist groups, they try to go out to the borderlands of the frontier where they can set up their own government system right. so that they have controls over how the mechanisms of law happen. And, and Joseph did this. He went to a swampy area of Illinois called Commerce and reinvented it and reinvented it as the city of Nauvoo and positioned himself. He cleared out the swamp. Yeah. yeah. Well, he drained the swamp. Yeah. Drained the swamp. Yeah. That's right. He did it for real. <laughs> yeah. um, and put, Centuries you know, before Trump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so then he affected the laws of that city. He made sure that the charter of the city included his own militia, the Nauvoo Legion, that ended up being a larger military force than anything that existed in that area and threatened even the state's own militia. He, he implemented some of the most um, liberal concepts of the writ of habeas corpus. So when officials from other jurisdictions came to try to hold Joseph Smith accountable for his criminal activities, they would arrest him and he'd say, okay, arrest me, but I get to exercise my right of uh, habeas corpus, take me before the, the magistrate in this area, in the city that I have, which is the right jurisdiction for your arrest. And he gave the judge of Nauvoo the ability not only to review the arrest, but then look at the charges which were behind the arrest. And if he said, well, those charges are illegitimate, he's innocent, then suddenly, because of double jeopardy, they can never arrest him for that again. And that power of habeas corpus he used as a cloak to shield him from accountability. 
So you've got him using laws to protect himself. Then you've got him using the population of Mormons to curry favor with local politicians. There was one point at which Joseph had, was brought, he was gonna be tried. Um, one of the attorneys in the area was um, also running for office and he said, if you help me, then I'll make sure that the vote goes your way. And so he's able to use the block vote power of Mormons in order to further his own agenda. Um, and that block vote power, that's one of the things that America is really worried about is religions voting in block. And so you have this idea that if you're going to get tax exempt status, there has to be a line as a religion between how much you try to influence your elite, your followers politically. And so that we see extend into the modern day, but, uh, that's a different subject. Again, this is my my rant on Mormonism and politics. Oh, one I do love it when he rants. I love the emotion. I love, the, I love, yeah. the, I love last, seeing streets are on the edge. One of the last things that Joseph Smith did, he set up the secret council of 50. And he had, he had let some of this leak into his public sermons, but he really thought that theocracy was the divine government of God and that the whole wrapping up of the scene with the earth was that it's going to be a theocratic government where the prophet king was the model where where he as joseph smith was going to have dominion over the whole earth and so he set up a secret council of 50 with the intention of perpetuating that ideology he had himself secretly crowned prophet priest and king um for these purposes and that was wait one a minute of the what i never so, heard about this he had himself crowned king Oh, I do that all the time. Come on, get with the program, Shelton. You know, I, I'm, all, I'm, I'm down for criticizing cult leaders, but let's not go so far as to criticize them for things that we all do, you know? I, so, you know actually, you're right. I, I'll just back yeah. off of that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Oh, Sorry. my God. So I agree <laughs> that it sounds ludicrous, and this is one of the reasons that they did it in secret. Um, right. Because in, in right. Christianity, prophet, priest, king is a triple title that's reserved for Christ. But this is in the, and the problem with Mormonism is they keep records. So they kept the records of the Council of 50, except it was locked away in the leadership's vault for like over 150 years. And just a couple of years ago, the church, because news of it had come out, finally published this record of the Council of 50. And you can see these things happening. And you would think, oh, that's hundreds of years ago. It doesn't still exist today. Wrong. So you guys have heard of, of Mormon Lakes which was this organization where they were trying to get people to leak information and they would make it publicly available. Well, one of their first leaks was a video recording of a session between Oregon Senator Gordon Smith and the first presidency of our church. Now, Oregon has some Mormons, they're not a whole lot of them, but they happened to elect a Mormon senator who served a term in Congress around the time of the Iraq war. If you look at that video, you will see this person who used to be a sitting senator, he just, uh, moved on and was no longer a senator, but he was basically reporting to the first presidency. And when he shows up, he says, I am used to appearing before presidents, but I am more humbled appearing before you as the prophets than ever there. I consider my temple recommend more important than my voter certificate. And the voter certificate is the, the thing that a senator would bring to DC saying, I represent the people of my constituency. And in that session, he goes so far as to disclose some top secret information that he's like, I don't think this is top secret anymore, but it has to do with the Iran's nuclear um, fissile material capabilities. But then he also says, 
I voted for the Iraq war. And one of the things that was behind that was the idea that we can open up the Middle East to our missionary efforts. And so you have somebody who is in government, exists within the political realm, but also has taken vows in a temple to swear fealty to the religious leader. And he is showing you that those vows, those covenants still affected his actions while he was a senator. And you can see he talks again and again how he was waiting for marching orders from the leaders of the church to know where he should aim his senatorial powers, what, what liaisons he should open up for the church. And so this is in the, the 2012 kind of 2000 area. This is the modern day. So the ideology that started with Joseph Smith, where behind the scenes, we're going to infiltrate into government and we're going to affect our religious ideology still exists today. And if I recall correctly, Trump just appointed a Mormon to replace John Bolton as our um, national security advisor. National security advisor. So, oh my God, talk about a guy flags. who's on top of all the top secret information. Yeah. So these things, we're not just pie in the sky conspiracy theory. These things happen. And if your users, I did a video where I broke down all of the problematic points of that behind the scenes meeting between the Oregon Senator Smith and the church leaders. And you can find that on my YouTube channel. But these are, I mean, people are afraid of Mitt Romney being a president because he had done the temple ceremony and sworn those oaths. That's true for Mitt Romney, but it's also true for these senators. It's true that for is anyone a really who's in the government. Good. I'm really glad you're bringing that up because I actually did not know that. I had, you know, misgivings about Mitt Romney being a president because of his Mormon leanings because I have dogmatic problems with what the Mormons do. But I, um, but I had no idea that they were swearing oaths of fealty to the church or, you know, that this kind of thing was going on behind the scenes because that means that their oaths of office are meaningless. Yeah, and that's not uh, a small taken thing. Oaths, the yeah. oath that they have to their God in the paradigm of the church, they hold as more important than whatever oath of office that they have. And that, I think that's actually the title of my video is to which oath are they bound? Exactly. Because we have, and, and it's not alone with Christians, we have on record uh, more than one senator or representative uh, coming out of the South, I think mostly, but I've seen this around represented in the United States of senators saying, or and judges have said, uh, God's law is senior to, you yeah. know, the laws I'm enforcing yeah. right now, right? I will always, it, you know, in any conflict between the law and God's law, I will always take God's law. And these and are the really same means... people who ironically, and just like, you know, again, teeth gnashingly frustrating, these are the same people who are the first in line to say, we will never, ever allow Sharia law or Sharia yeah. in the United States. And you're like, dude, you already did. Yeah. You're just so <laughs> blind to it. You don't get it. Like, how different do you think Sharia is from what you're thinking right now? You know, it's not that different. So. No. Oh, I have that, more. So this I does have some. <laughs> this does have some relevancy. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk also about how our church, Mormonism in particular, has changes its position based on what it wants to do. So early mm. in our history, we wanted to have multiple wives and we wanted to be accepted as a state that had multiple wives. And when the government was like, no, we don't want to do that. We, we have marriage as a man and a woman, one man, one woman. Uh, you polygamists can't do that. Well, then our prophets got up and said, well, you know, the government can't impose its version of marriage on us. We have the higher version of marriage and governments just need to get out of the way. 
And so we were all happy to have the government not try to impose marriage. And we were preaching about that left and right. Well, now fast forward to the 20th century, now that Mormonism had adapted to monogamy, gotten rid of polygamy, but we have the strict notion of one man, one woman, heterosexual marriage and gay marriage is completely antithetical. Well, then suddenly we want to use the force of government to impose Mormons view of marriage on everyone in a society, which is the complete opposite of the position they took under the polygamy issue. And so we've got uh, the church kind of using other religions that have the same motivation to influence the laws of California under this thing called Proposition 8, where the church used its influence over the members to have them go door to door, have them volunteer time. The church gave money to this effort to try to uh, prevent gay marriage in California. And it ultimately backfired because a lot of the people in the church who were involved in that you know, once they started realizing that they had family members who are gay, or once they started realizing the problem with it, they saw the church as really using its influence to try to affect politics in a way that we wouldn't want any other church. Like, I wouldn't want the Jehovah's Witnesses, if they were a big church with a lot of money, to go and try to change the laws so that I wouldn't have access to a blood transfusion. You know, it's the same sort of thing. You don't want somebody else's ideology affecting your choices in society, but the church doesn't want it you know, to acknowledge that there's a conflict there when we're talking about things like gay marriage. Yeah, exactly. Do the JWs ever do anything like that? What, in, interfere with um, legislation on gay marriage? Or any kind of legislation. No, that that's, I mean... Yeah, I didn't think so. That's what we were saying before the podcast yeah. is I'm limited as to how much I can comment on this because for the most part, again... Um, the leadership tends to just put their complete trust in Jehovah, uh, validating all of their beliefs. But uh, even though they don't um, influence legislators, to my knowledge, um, on um, on gay marriage and that sort of thing, they do certainly have a, as we all know, uh, a crusade against homosexuality and produce multiple cartoons and worksheets and magazine articles um, making life harder for gay people. And so they do that through proselytization and through dissemination of materials, but they yeah. don't, but they're, they're so insular, they're so isolated from the world. That, the JWs are the ones who are very us versus them on in that like, regard, right? You guys, you guys don't even vote. So they can't even say, hey, yeah, go, the, go to the oh, ballot right. box and vote for the politician who may not be Jehovah's Witness, but is still advocating for the things we advocate. Like Mormons do that. Like we specifically say, you know, you each have a voice, you should go and vote your conscience. You know, never mind the fact that we're the ones who shaped your conscience. And if you step outside of the parameters we have, then you're in trouble. Um, it's so that it's kind of a de facto thing, but it's, you know, it still gives people the freedom to secretly vote what they want, but you guys don't even vote. So it's not even an issue. Indeed. Huh. Interesting. Well, actually, that actually kind of says it all. It, it, they don't even vote. So that that is very, very interesting. And yet they've managed to grow to multi-millions, millions and millions of people around the world with this. And they have and, and that clearly is influence. Um, but they don't influence pedal. Yeah, yeah they, they, so they don't lobby. Right. I think is, is the word. Um, but as far as them growing to millions and millions, I think that's more of a, a legacy of, of past of a different era entirely when yeah. they got to just control the narrative and there was no internet and all of their crazy ideas went 
mostly completely unchallenged. Um, if you had the same dynamic at the same point in the 20th century as you have today, they wouldn't be growing by millions and millions because right now the numbers are more or less static and they're only able to have very modest growth of 1.4% for the last two years based purely mm. on making babies. So, uh, See, that's the problem is <laughs> right. the, the secret superpower of the magic underwear Indeed. is we, we, eight children, found, 13 children. We've found that by <laughs> borrowing the very best of Mormon culture, we've been able to spice things up a bit and, uh, <laughs> and just grow our numbers. So, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Because, yeah, because uh, yeah, Scientology is kind of in the middle of these two things. It tends more toward the Mormon side, I think. Uh, but it's interesting. It's it, it's uh, I, I appreciate the differences. Actually, I'm glad that we're talking about these differences. It's not it's actually, you know, it's not that you're not contributing to the conversation. It's just that the JWs just don't do this. And that is in itself very interesting. It's almost a, a unique. Amongst, I mean, I think I'm not saying that it's impossible that they do it. It's just that I can't speak of things of which I do not know. Um, well, no. And I and of, and of somebody yeah. who would know it would be you. Well, you you say that, but. I think that there's lots of things going on which I would be completely shocked about if I were to learn. I mean, we, we there's a lot of secrecy in the leadership. So it's not inconceivable that there is some lobbying going on. It's just that until I see evidence of it, I can't talk about it, you know? And any organization can pay for attorneys that are not yeah. necessarily in the organization, but their ethical obligation is to represent the interests of the organization. Yeah, but if, if there is no lobbying going on and there's no evidence of lobbying going on is what I'm saying, um, I would explain that by the the delusion of the leadership and the fact that they think that ultimately Jehovah's going to come to the rescue and make their fantasies a reality. Right, right. Chris, I think there's a there's kind of a an issue that is at the center of all of this, and that is that um, people I think might accuse some activists of saying, "Well, you guys just want to get rid of religion altogether." And I think the reason that we have such difficulty with this issue is because the freedom of belief and the freedom of religion is tied in with a free society, with the idea that you have freedom of speech and you have all of these things. And so I don't wanna live in a society where somebody is not free to be in a religion that they want to be in. I, I don't like the idea that religions can operate with impunity and be abusive and, and things like that. And so that's what we're working to draw the boundary between. But um, we have like Jehovah's Witnesses, as long as there is a society where there is freedom of association, freedom of belief and freedom of speech are going to exist and they can ride the coattails of a free society so that they still have room to exist at whatever scale that they exist at. But I don't want to get rid of those things. And so if even if you want to consider religion to be kind of the canary in the coal mine, if you have the freedom of belief where you can be in a religion that has some wacky ideas, as long as you're not hurting people, then that's okay because I want to be able to maintain my own freedom of belief. Uh, Absolutely, kind of drawing the boundaries between that and then undue influence over politics, so that their beliefs don't get imposed on everybody else. Um, these are the things, and that, that and that's the danger, right? That's the danger of it. It's not the belief. I don't care what people believe, and I've always I always come down on that. Always, I agree with everything you just said. Um, but when you have these groups of people who are advent, you know, fervent believers in their ideology or, or dogma to the point that they feel it righteous about imposing those beliefs on others, that you have to live by my religious guidelines. 
that's where I go, no, you've, you lost the plot some time ago. I will be tolerant of you, but you have to be tolerant of me. And that's what we don't see, especially out of these destructive cults. And then that's another term, another reason why that term gets used, rather than just organized religion, you know. The protests by the Pastafarians and the Satanists where they say, okay, everywhere where we see that the government is allowing religion to interpose in its systems, we're going to take something that those religions consider to be ridiculous or anathema, and we're going to exercise the same rights. And it's not because we want to have Satan in government or we want to have Pastafarians in government. It's where we want to point out where your beliefs and your ideology being mixed with these government processes is wrong to other people. Because if you think it's wrong for me to do it, then it's, you know, you have to acknowledge that it's wrong for these other people. And I love seeing those protests. Yeah, exactly. I'm well, confused this is by Satanists, though, by, but maybe it's just me. But I, I tend to kind of interpret Satanists through the JW lens because JWs will, maybe Mormons as well, are very, very terrified of any kind of evidence that Satan may be real or that he may have followers. So when you have a group of people calling themselves Satanists, who, as far as I can tell, don't actually believe that Satan is real. They're just doing it to kind of wind people up. I don't know. It just it slightly rubs me up the, the wrong way. I'm all for, you know, ma making very clear distinctions of how uh, religion goes too far and how there needs to be church-state separation. But I always struggle a little bit to fully re um, uh, relate to you know, calling yourself a Satanist. I mean, there's a documentary. There's a documentary right. about these Satanists. Maybe things. I need we to should... learn more about that. Yeah. Well, we should watch it and then have a conversation afterwards. Yeah. We can leave. We can leave Chris out because he doesn't. Satan doesn't even enter. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like Thetan, Thetan, but it's not the same. So no, we have we have uh, Satanic principles in Scientology, not Satanic ones. Yes. So we oh, we can just say Satan with a lisp, can't we? And that will. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No, I'm we totally can have a conversation, that conversation about that later, and then Chris can be like you and sit on the side and then just <laughs> sn snipe from the corners. I th no, I think Lloyd has contributed some really good stuff here in this in this episode. Thank actually. you, Chris. It's a shame that you have to defend me in that way against Mr. Streeter. <laughs> I know. But that's the dynamic that we're working with, and, and hopefully things will improve, yeah. Yes, hopefully, hopefully. Well, I uh, I think this has been interesting, uh, for one. And, I and you know, again, I was going to say you can't, blame a group, any group, for trying to survive, for trying to get along uh, and make its way in society. And a group of people who wanna get together because they have beliefs, I have nothing to say. I got no argument on that. You wanna get together and make chocolate chip cookies, you wanna get together and read the Bible, you wanna get together and, and pray and, and you know dance around trees, I don't care. Baptize dead people, go for it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But, you know, but when you say that, you know, my kid has to be indoctrinated with your literature or um, that I have to live my life according to your principles, then we have issues. And when children are being abused, of course, we all should have something to say about that. So. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, guys, thanks for participating this week. This is kind of interesting. It was wonderful. And um, yeah, just uh, if you need me, I'll be in my trailer. <laughs> okay. Yeah. With your closet full of magic underwear. Oh, you know, I have to say, Lloyd, I am super, super, super impressed with your bunker. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm quite pleased with it as well. It's, yeah. uh, can I rotate the camera a little bit? Uh, so, oh, yeah. Look at all that. So we've got the collection of literature there. And wow. It's just very, 
it's very useful to have everything together here so I can do my research. Yeah. That's I think it's awesome. beautiful that you pair like your place is your bunker and that has some allusions to like the end times videos that you have. Yeah. You guys don't know it, but you see how it's just black back here. This is outer darkness. Yeah. So Mormonism, <laughs> when you, you leave the church after being faithful, you're a son of perdition in outer darkness. You and are so, spinning through the void of interst interstellar space by the by the looks of things. Right. But exactly. Managing There's to no... keep your composure given the situation that you're in, which I find very admirable. Yeah. There's no light. It's <laughs> dark. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I just wanted to comment on it because I actually am a little jelly. I think you've got a great, great little studio set up there. Thank you. You need to come, by the way, so we can have a bunker interview. Yeah, we and that is going to happen at some point good. in the future. Yes, Very good. that is definitely going to happen. Uh, Spain was just the beginning. I am, Excellent. I am all about Europe right now. I am so enthralled by the, uh, the, 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 the freedoms, the yeah. attitudes, the, the differences there. It is, it is really. Uh, Invigorating. All, all I ask is don't bring any Mormons with you or ex-Mormons, you know, <laughs> let, let's keep it, you know, above board. And, okay. Uh, yeah, more than welcome. <laughs> we'll, we'll baptize you when you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, folks, any questions, comments, feedback, leave them in the comments section below here on YouTube or at sensiblyspeaking.com and we will see them. Uh, thanks for listening to us ramble on here. We really enjoy your viewership. And uh, I will see you guys next week. All right, guys. Bye-bye.